This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Be honest. Have you ever lied to your doctor? Turns out a disturbing number of patients are not forthcoming with their physicians and it could have a huge negative impact on individual health care. And January seems to be the month for self-improvement. There's Veganuary, Dry January, and now many are buying into a wildly popular decluttering program by organizing guru Marie Kondo, whose drastic tidying tenets have inspired legions of followers. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Zoomers over 55 are hitting the employment jackpot. New labor numbers show their share in the workforce is growing the fastest, filling almost half of the 3 million jobs in the U.S. last year, the highest level since 1961. The Bureau of Labor Statistics found that older workers tend to be healthier and better educated than people their age were in the past. It's a similar story in Canada. In 2017, half the jobs created went to those over 55, as the number of job-seeking Zoomers grew by 3%, much faster than the younger age group. The debate over how old is too old to drive surfaced again this week after two incidents involving Prince Philip. British police have spoken with the 97-year-old after he was photographed driving without a seatbelt just two days after he was involved in a serious crash that left one woman with a broken wrist. The prince who was driving at the time, was not injured in the accident. Police say, quote, suitable words of advice were given to the Duke of Edinburgh. The world's oldest man has died. Masazo Nonaka passed away peacefully in his sleep this week in Japan at the age of 113. The supercentenarian was certified last year as the world's oldest living man at 112 years and 259 days. He's outlived his wife and three of their five children. Nonaka was born in July 1905, just months before Albert Einstein published his theory of relativity. Japan is home to 70,000 residents, over 100, including the world's oldest person, a 116-year-old woman. Pickering Man has made his 300th blood donation this week. 72-year-old Stephen Hatt made his first donation when he was 18. And over the years, as friends and relatives needed blood, he was encouraged to continue donating. Canadian Blood Services needs more donors like Stephen to come and donate and help meet the demand this winter. Britain has come up with a novel way of lifting elderly people out of loneliness and isolation. 
Mail carriers are assigned to visit up to two seniors a month by dropping in a couple of times a week during their mail run. It's nice to, for someone to knock, you know, and have a word with you. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Up to 80% of Americans admit they have either lied or have not been forthcoming about their health during visits to their doctor. Many say they just don't want to be judged or lectured. Some doctors say this disturbing new information, published in the American Medical Association Journal, is a wake-up call for both patient and physician. Dr. Iris Gorfinkel dropped by our studios to talk about it. I read this with great interest, especially the reasons why patients are not forthcoming. Okay, well, let's go over the kinds of things they lie about. You thought they would just lie about drinking. In medical circles, we're told, if you really want to know the truth about drinking, you shouldn't ask the person themselves, but rather ask their significant other, their spouse. They know the lowdown. They get the fuller picture. What surprised me is that the pillars of wellness people are more likely to lie about. So it's not just a matter of how much you're drinking. It's also a question of how much do you exercise? That's a popular one. Another big topic that people will lie about is sexuality. You know, and I find that very interesting, too, that we want to be seen as desirable sexual creatures, I guess. And when the truth doesn't quite align with that and we want our doctor to understand how desirable we are, we're also more likely to kind of overstate things. So it doesn't go the other way around where you're trying to hide that you're sexually active. You're trying, you're inflating that a little bit. I'm not sure where the lies are. Like, I really, I, I can't even be objective about it because I thought I had it down with my 10% figure, but this 60 to 80% number is kind of bowling me over. So another big area that people lie about is diet. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. How are you eating? Are you the vegan I thought you were? <laughs> Absolutely I not. Heard this laughter, I'm like, well, you're on board with it. But I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I eat hay every day. You know, I'm on that <laughs> kale thing. That's what I do every day. <laughs> so that's another big thing because this is like one of the major pillars of wellness. How are you eating and do you eat healthy? Well, when you're speaking to a doctor, I guess we're more likely to just turn it up a little bit and make it a little more rainbow. On the diet and exercise file, it said that more than 20% didn't disclose their unhealthy diets or lack of exercise. So that's not the full 80. That's true. I mean, if you try to break it down, why are people lying? It's incredible, but 45% actually disagree with what the doctor is saying. So the doctor may be trying to give advice. You know, they don't actually agree, but they're afraid to say that. They're afraid it may harm their care in some way. What are the kinds of things that a patient might say they dis- do they say, no, Dr. Gorfinkel, I think you're wrong about my diagnosis, or no, Dr. Gorfinkel, I don't think that's going to make me well. What would they be disagreeing about? I would say all of the above, right from the start, from the history. Let's start from the beginning. They will tell me what's going on, and then I will try to reflect back what's going on. And that may be the first of many no's, hopefully. And a good relationship, it'll be, no, you didn't get that right. It's not two weeks, it's six weeks or whatever. I got it wrong in the history. Then in the physical examination, I'm understanding your pain is here. Is that correct? This seems to be where you have the most pain. So that may be another disagreement. And then when I try to put the picture together between the history and the physical examination, that may lead to yet another disagreement. 
But how can it be that the timing doesn't quite make sense? The things that you're describing, I wouldn't even call a disagreement. I mean, it's just a, like a fact check. It's absolutely it's a fact check. But imagine if you feel disempowered, if you're vulnerable, if you sense that the doctor is time-pressed. I mean, this, these are all reasons why we're wrong. You know, so the other big thing in the study was not understanding recommendations. And that is such a big topic. That was over 30% of individuals. And these are the people answering the survey, incidentally, they're internet savvy. So they're pretty smart, reasonable people, right? But if they're not understanding recommendations, that's a serious cry for help. And as patients, one of the simplest things, and actually it was a patient who taught me this. I wish I could take personal credit. But it's not Iris Gorfinkel. This is, this is a patient who taught me this. She was older, and she knew she was becoming a little forgetful. And she said something to me that was so profound and so practice-changing. She said, instead of just writing your notes, I want you to write out what you're saying as we go along and, and, and just give me the printed recommendations. And, you know, with the electronic medical record, that's actually quite simple to do. There was another big thing here, and it basically said that patients are lying or not disclosing because they don't want to be scolded or judged. Oh, yeah, that's such a biggie. And they really try to teach that these days. We want to try to set the stage for normalcy so that patients can talk about what they need to talk about and understand that it will be accepted and not judged. And yet that was one of the big things that came out of the study, that people are really afraid of that. Shame extends to so many things, and I think a lot of it comes down to is how good is your self-esteem? How much do you really believe in yourself? Because if there's shame attached to something, that is— Well, the there's very, lots of shame attached to diet. Oh, my gosh, everything. Like the, all four pillars of wellness, there's shame attached to diet, there's shame attached to exercise— there's shame attached to sleep. There's certainly a huge amount of shame attached to sexuality and at every age. What do you do with this? Are you, are you going to ask your patients if they're honest with you now? Are you going to come right out and say that? Or how are you going to handle this? We have to just be aware that it's a thing. And we have to look for the nonverbal cues. When we suspect it, we still have to work hard to try to set the stage for honesty, acceptance, a non-judgmental ethos in the examination room and, and just letting them know that if there's anything else you want to let me know, please do. That was Toronto doctor and medical researcher, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, if downsizing and decluttering is your New Year's resolution, you'll want to hear what our next guest has to say. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. I'm Maria Kondo. In order to understand for you how my method was created, when I was 19 years old, I became an organizing consultant. My graduation thesis was about tidying. That's Marie Kondo, the Japanese decluttering sensation, whose novel method has made her a best-selling author and a Netflix star. 
Her concept, getting rid of everything that does not spark joy, has inspired followers as well as disciples who are certified to teach her method around the world. Professional organizer Ivanka Solkowski checked out my cluttered office before we sat down to talk about the KonMari method. What about all the stuff? There's papers that I have to keep but I don't really know where to put them or how to file them. Well, I would tell you to have a look at the things around here and what actually is improving your quality of life and your productivity as an individual in this position of your employment. Anything that is not improving that or making you the most efficient person you can be, it's got to go. Uh, it's that simple. <laughs> if you keep everything that you've collected for free, for work, for whatever, it'll just keep piling up and you'll end up buried under here. <laughs> she changes the phrasing of decluttering from a negative tone to a positive tone. So rather than thinking of things that you want to get rid of, and you have all these things, that, these negative associations, she got rid of that and said, don't worry about what to get rid of. Focus on what you want to keep. So things that spark joy. Spark joy is the phrasing that's used in her books. Because if it sparks joy, if it makes you happy, if it's improving your quality of life, that's what you're keeping. And then you see that anything that's not in that pile, that's what goes. So just explain her method. So with the KonMari method, it's broken down into categories. So we've got clothing, books and papers, kimono, which means miscellaneous items. So things like sporting goods or bathroom supplies, you know, things like that, kitchen, that all falls in there. And then the last one is sentimental items. And you work on them in that order because... If you started with sentimental items, you'd kind of hit a wall right away. Clothing is something that generally has a high turnover anyway. So you start there, it, it's become a little easier, then you can move your way down the line. I'd say 99.9% .9 of the time, I have a client who has at least one item with the tag still on it in their closet. And you realize when you pick up that item and you think, I've been keeping this out of guilt because I spent money on it, not because I love it. The lesson in that, in this process, would be to say, thank you to this dress for teaching me that, you know, if I'm in a bad mood, go to the mall, try things on, but leave your credit card at home. What evidence do you have that this really works for people? If you go read her testimonials online, they're incredible. So there's that. And then I firsthand have seen how it works with my own clients. Sometimes clients only hire me for one or two sessions and they think that that's enough, but then they kind of fall back into their old habits because they didn't complete the full journey. It doesn't have to be with me as a consultant, but if you want to do this successfully, you have to go from start to finish. Some people are saying it's a bit of a fad. She's got a Netflix show that is a sensation. I mean, it's a... Yes, it's been going in waves. So the book's been around for over five years now. I think it's just going up and down with different things that she's doing, but the people, and I can vouch for this system myself because I've done it, and I've maintained it over the past three years. I've not sunken back into my old being an emotional shopper ways and just collecting things for the sake of collecting them. You're supposed to thank these items. A lot of people think that's pretty weird and hokey. We live in a world in here in North America, especially where it's a consumeristic society. For the most part, even if you are not doing so well, if you're not in the upper or middle class, you're still able to purchase things that are easily accessible. If you've ever traveled to third world countries and you see that they have nothing, if I'm able to combine those two thoughts and say, you know what, I want to thank you item for, for bringing me warmth on a day like today. Today's been a crummy day. It's been snowing and raining and cold and 
You know, I'm fortunate that I had a hat, but I don't need 10 of them. She's come under a lot of fire for what she said about books. And she was talking about having only 30 books. In Marie's book, she says herself that the amount of books that sparks joy for her happens to be 30. It was just a statement of, you know, this this is what works for me. It doesn't mean that that's what has to work for everyone. But because she didn't say it doesn't mean it doesn't have to work like that for everyone. People took that number 30 and have been running with it, calling her a book hater. The truth is that these days with the Internet, it's easier to Google it. But you still want books kind of to show that you are an intelligent, uh, learned person, and that's not serving their purpose. Those are your books that, quote unquote, spark joy. They can be used as decoration. The rest have to go. We've been hearing about people deciding on behalf of their spouse that their collection of whatever does not spark joy. Yes, that is rule number one in the KonMari method, is that you only make these decisions for yourself. Because who are you to decide what should or should not spark joy for another individual? Is this still going to be a phenom? A lot of people think like she's a little, you know, weird too. <laughs> she's honest and joyful and she's living the life that she's, she's practicing what she preaches. That was professional organizer Ivanka Solkowski, founder of the Tidy Moose. I'm Libby Snymer and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, a legendary singer-songwriter celebrates his 78th birthday. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts date book. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. Acting legend Sir Ian McKellen is celebrating his 80th birthday with a solo show on 80 different stages across the UK. You do films for money, you do television for fame, but the real thing is acting in the theatre. And what's real about it is, is the presence of the audience, of course. The tour starts at Sir Ian's local arts centre on the Isle of Dogs. The Pompidou Centre in Paris is taking a fresh look at one of modern art history's founding movements with the first exhibition devoted to Cubism in France since 1953. It's time for the annual Braffa Art Fair in Brussels. The 64th annual edition runs through February 3rd. And after a detailed reconstruction, New Zealand's Antarctic Heritage Trust has returned a beer barrel to the hut and now museum that was home to Sir Ernest Shackleton's historic Nimrod expedition in 1908. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, Neil Diamond celebrated his 78th birthday. For over 50 years, Diamond has been one of the world's most popular singer-songwriters. His records have sold over 125 million copies worldwide, making him the most successful adult contemporary artist on Billboard charts, just behind Elton John and Barbara Streisand with whom he went to high school. Diamond announced his retirement from performing due to a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. However, he did come out of retirement for one special performance back in June. He led a sing-along of Sweet Caroline for firefighters who were battling wildfires in Colorado. Sweet Caroline is without question the most popular song out of Diamond's entire catalog. And that's what we'll celebrate his birthday with today. Where it began 
I can't begin to know him. That was Neil Diamond with Sweet Caroline. Diamond celebrated his 78th birthday earlier this week. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.